Roxo Media House. A Signal 51 is police code for an investigation, a law enforcement proceeding that is a systemic and thorough attempt to learn the facts about a possible crime that is complex and whose facts and circumstances are generally hidden, at least initially, behind obstacles that can be coincidental and or man-made. Investigations methods are formal. I'm John Henry, a journalist, and my partner is Jake White, a retired Fort Worth police sergeant. Together, we examine the difficult cases of law enforcement, both in Fort Worth and around the region. This is Signal 51. The show is designed specifically for a more mature audience. Some of the content is graphic and is not intended for younger audiences. Episode 11 of the Signal 51 Chronicles. The murder of Mr. J. Harry Wynn. Trash collection in Fort Worth in 1970 was a messy job. One photograph set off a firestorm for reform. One man led the crusade, J. Harry Wynn, born in 1881. He was a descendant of one of Texas's oldest families, the Wynns. They were well-known Dallas developers, founded Six Flags Over Texas, and brought Tex-Mex to the state. Wynn grew up in a home in downtown Fort Worth at 1000 West Weatherford. Early on, Wynn was golfing partners with Richard L. Van Zant, son of the acclaimed Major K.M. Van Zant, major historical figure in early Fort Worth. Much of today's Trinity Park and the Cultural District and West 7th Entertainment District is the old Van Zant farm. This Van Zant, Richard, was the second governor of the Federal Reserve Bank of Dallas. Singer-songwriter Towns Van Zant draws his lineage from these Van Zants as well. Wynn was also a good friend of Robert Lee Pascal, a prominent educator in the first third of the 20th century, who had a high school named after him on Forest Park. Professionally, Wynn was the manager of the Fort Worth branch of the Life Insurance Company of Virginia. An ad in the Star-Telegram read, We are pleased to announce the appointment, effective May 1st, 1931, of J. Harry Wynn as branch manager of Fort Worth and vicinity with offices at 605 W.T. Wagoner Building, Fort Worth, Texas. Wynn eventually rose to president of the company. His brother, R.M. Wynn, was an attorney in town. His law partner was Robert McCart, the same McCart in which the street is named after. Harry was the valedictorian of Fort Worth High School class in 1900, and he was somewhat of a Renaissance man. He was a photographer. Many of his photographs were used in the Star-Telegram. He was also a baker who delivered bread to friends and family with a sticker saying, from the kitchen of J. Harry Wynn. He was a Fort Worth resident who seemed to never sit idle, even into his late 80s. When Harry Wynn took on the dirty job of improving trash collection in Fort Worth, he did so with the same zeal he did in finding the perfect photograph or kneading the perfect bread dough or any of his other endeavors. As a side note, one of those other projects was flirting with running for the school board in 1915. If he had been elected, he would have been the first graduate of a Fort Worth high school to serve. Ultimately, he withdrew his candidacy in what turned out to be quite the dust-up that even involved Judge W.P. McLean. We know that name too. It was one of Harry's photographs. It literally spoke more than a thousand words, as they say that set in motion a call to action and trash pickup controversy that engulfed the city of Fort Worth in the late 1960s and into the 70s. 
Harry Wynn rallied the troops. Well into his late 80s, he threatened to lead a march of 300 people to City Hall to ensure their voices were heard. In his garbage crusade, in fact, he was called the Garbage Crusader, he made many friends and possibly a few enemies. So just how bad was the trash problem? In 1970 and prior, garbage cans were placed on the curb, in the alley, or on the side of the house. This was the primary way trash was collected in the city. However, concern grew over trash being strewn about by animals, the wind, or careless sanitation crews. There were concerns about public health as well as just the unsightliness of empty soup cans and McDonald's wrappers rolling and blowing about. Harry took a picture of one scene he observed, a neighborhood street with litter as ubiquitous as a cow dung on a ranch in West Texas. It was published in the Star-Telegram and caused a figurative panic. In 1970, one proponent for Wynn's proposed reform in the Fort Worth Star-Telegram said, they don't collect garbage, they just redistribute it. The woman was talking about how, when the sanitation department collected trash from the cans, much of it was spilled on the street. An opponent of Wynn's plan asked in the Star-Telegram article, is it too much to expect that the sanitation department will be operated for the service of its customers rather than the convenience of its staff? She seemed to have pushback against Wynn's proposal. What was Harry Wynn recommending? Ultimately, his recommendation was to get rid of the garbage cans and convert to the new plastic trash bag, which would better secure refuse during the transfer from curb to truck. Many others simply left the garbage cans out on the curb. Harry, a Fort Worth mainstay and lifer, wanted to see his beautiful city be. Well, beautiful and not all trashy, with stuff lying on the streets and in the yards. One is left wondering, more than 50 years after his death, if this 89-year-old garbage activist trying to only beautify his native home didn't lose his life over the fight. Like many seasons of change, there was serious resistance. Fort Worth city officials feared the cost. Residents feared the cost. The bags were becoming a burden in the eyes of some. D.E. Jansen and Imogene Jansen said, Now, all of a sudden the garbage cans are not good enough, and all garbage and grass cuttings have to be put into plastic bags at a cost of $800,000 to the citizens of Fort Worth. Harry's Faction won. Starting August 2nd, 1971, the new trash system started. Harry said, I wish to express my appreciation to the city council, the city manager, and the Star-Telegram for their cooperation in helping rid the city of these unsightly cans. Also, to many hundreds of citizens who have written or phoned me saying, Sikkim, we're behind you. But let's not stop here. Keep the bags off the street, except on pickup days. Let's also keep our own yards, sidewalks, and gutters free from loose papers, trash, and beer cans. Let's make our city a pleasant place in which to live. Gone were the days of placing trash in the back alley or side yard for pickup. Now, residents had to place their trash on the curb no earlier than 6 p.m. the day before scheduled pickup. Residents could pick up a box of 50 trash bags for $2 from any of the 20 suburban fire stations. C.E. Bryan, a 55-year traveling salesman, 
He was concerned the cost of the bags would go up to 20 cents per bag in very short time. This became such a hot-button issue. The mayoral and city council candidates made the change in waste disposal a centerpiece of their candidacy. Mrs. H.D. Ramsey, in a public statement, said, Everyone talks about the garbage cans on the street, but no one seems to do anything about it. Tommy Thompson, the mayor candidate, said he will go back to the alley and side yard pickup, and it will cost homeowners what they pay now for carrying it to the curb. At last, we have a man who cares what the city looks like. Mrs. Burt Williams, in her written endorsement, said, I've been reading articles in newspapers about ecology. How can any city talk about ecology while we have garbage cans on the street? Fort Worth needs to elect Tommy Thompson for mayor. He can get the garbage situation cleaned up and do some cleaning up at City Hall while he is about it. Place six candidates for city council were asked, how would you rate the present garbage collection system? If you are displeased with it, what alternatives would you propose? One candidate, Dave Haskins, responded, Garbage cans, which are improperly covered and left at the street, constitute health hazards and are unsightly. Another candidate, John Lamond, replied, The jury is still out on the present garbage system. Perhaps a referendum would be the easiest way to determine the majority will of the people. Lowell Williams suggested garbage collection be turned over to a private firm in an expanded alley maintenance program with no charge levied against abutting landowners. Top of the list of priorities for mayoral candidate Tommy Thompson. He said in an ad, we need to get the garbage cans off the streets. The mayoral candidates were also asked, how would you rate the present garbage collection system? If you're displeased with it, what alternatives would you propose? Another candidate said, if elected mayor, I shall keep Fort Worth clean. R.J. Sharkey Stovall, the eventual winner, was a proponent of the status quo. The present garbage system has many critics, but it's a workable system and contrary to some claims, does not force any citizen to put his garbage cans at the curb. Thompson said, our present system of garbage pickup is nothing short of ridiculous. To highlight the cost to the city of Fort Worth and their effort to fund the change, on June 25, 1971, city manager Roger Line recommended a price increase from $2 to $2.50 per month for curbside pickup. Additionally, Line suggested mandatory use of plastic bags, which are now sold by the city at $2 for 50 bags. Line said the increases are necessary to continue to fund the sanitation division. If the increases are not put in place, it was projected the sanitation division would end the year $653,000 short and another $1 million is projected for the next fiscal year if fees are not increased. The following day, Lyons' proposal was codified by the city council. This was a complex issue that faced 108,000 homes and it was not met with open arms. Line also said, the protests are numerous and sharp. They are being made against the plastic bag rule and against the prospect of abandonment of alley pickup. City officials alleged the issue was already on the forefront of their agenda, but Wynn's crusade certainly expedited the cause. Three days after Harry's note of thanks for all the help, 
a coup d'etat, in reality, more like a bitch session, was launched. Joe Baronic, a resident of Fort Worth, presented a list of 1,000 bona fide voters and claimed that the people should have been consulted before the council instituted the new system. Problem was, his list of voters were not bona fide. City officials found that most of the names on Baronic's petition had no address, nor was there a sworn affidavit attesting to the validity of the signatures. There was an implication the list was fake. Nonetheless, trash reform had carried the day. Two months later, the garbage crusader was silenced. On September 16, 1971, at a little afternoon, 1215 to be exact, two months after the new trash ordinance had been put into effect, Harry Wynn's son, Robert, went to his father's house at 1108 Washington Avenue in South Fort Worth to check on his 89-year-old father. It was a trip Robert made every day to look in on his elderly father. Unlike the day before, what he found would haunt him the rest of his days. Upon entering the home, the son found the deceased body of J. Harry Wynn. Harry was lying on a bed inside an enclosed porch on the second floor. He appeared to have been bludgeoned to death. Next to the bed was a bloody hammer. Fort Worth police were dispatched. The call, a Signal 51 investigation. Officers quickly theorized the assailant entered the home through the back door. This theory was formed because police found that the screen on the back door had been cut. Inside, police found one dresser was open and appeared to have been disturbed, but nothing else was missing from inside the home. At the crime scene, patrolman J.F. Campbell stated, quote, You could see where he threw up his arms trying to defend himself. The room did not appear ransacked, with the exception of one dresser drawer. In our conversation with Harry Wynn's grandson, J. Harry Wynn II, Harry had gold, silver, and valuable camera equipment inside the home, but the only thing police knew was missing was Wynn's green 1966 Cadillac. A day prior to his death, Wynn left his son's home at 7.30 p.m. driving the car. Initially, police were stymied by the motive. Robert was not considered because of the valuables that were left inside. However, within days of Wynn's murder, the motive seemed to change. Lieutenant Oliver Ball said, quote, we're just going to have to stay with robbery. His billfold was gone. I can't see any, any further motive. We can't find an enemy the man ever had. Regardless of the motive, one fact had been clearly established. Harry Wynn had been murdered, beaten savagely. The implement, a hammer. Witnesses reported hearing Wynn's car leave the home at 3 a.m. And when it left, they heard a collision, but they thought it was Wynn leaving in a hurry. The same witnesses, neighbors, described Wynn as friendly. On September 17th, a planned birthday party for the 2B Nonagerian was off. In addition to being friendly, neighbors described Wynn as tidy, and he often cleaned up the neighborhood. Wynn was also the opposite of the curmudgeonly get-off-my-lawn neighbor. In fact, when neighborhood parents would try to get their kids off Wynn's lawn or porch, he would instead say, leave them alone, they're not hurting anything. That same Friday, the 17th, a day after his body was found, police discovered Wynn's Cadillac parked in the historic Fort Worth stockyards at 100 East Exchange. What we know as a lively entertainment district in the 21st century was anything but in the early 1970s. It was run down and dilapidated, nothing like the thriving cattle business district full of life only 40 years before. 
Inside the car, police found two partial fingerprints, one fingerprint on a lighter and one on the ignition key. Furthermore, police also found small pieces of paper torn up inside the vehicle. Harry's grandson told us that his grandfather indeed smoked a pipe, and keys in those days were required to start a car, so these items may or may not have much evidentiary value. However, what was of interest, the small pieces of paper. Harry Wynn was meticulous. He took excessive care in the consideration of details. That was another fact his grandson told us. He was one of those guys who believed everything had a place, especially, as we well know from his campaign with the city, trash. Torn up pieces of paper were, were not something Harry would have tolerated laying around in, the, in his car. Otherwise, Detective B.G. Whistler noted there was nothing unusual about the car except for the spare tire missing. Another aside, it is because of Lieutenant Oliver Ball that we found this case. If you remember in our prior story, that of the murder of Barry Leatherman, Officer J.J. Lee's controversial promotion actually happened because of Lieutenant Ball's retirement. One year after Lieutenant Ball retired, he was interviewed by a local newspaper. Three cases, he said, troubled him. All of them unsolved murder cases. One was the case of Mrs. Mildred May. The other was the abduction and murder of Carla Walker, a case that, 46 years after the fact, has finally been solved. The miracle of DNA evidence being the key. And the other was the murder of J. Harry Wynn. Lieutenant Ball was somewhat of a legend. He ran the homicide division, and he also made leather goods such as gun belts and holsters, which you can still buy online to this day. The lieutenant was also very active in the Golden Gloves, the acclaimed boxing organization. And the newspaper reporters loved him. Seemingly every move Ball made was covered by the local newspapers. He was interesting, and he was involved in interesting stuff. If there was a big or complicated murder case, Ball investigated it. We're going to explore Lieutenant Ball in later episodes. Back to Harry's case. The same day his car was recovered, Dr. Felix Gwotes, the Tarrant County Medical Chief Medical Examiner, ruled Harry's death a homicide. The cause of death was multiple fractures to the head caused by a blunt instrument. Dr. Gwotes said a conclusive time of death could not be determined, but he estimated that it was in the early morning hours of Thursday, September 16th, 1971. One month prior to Wynn's murder, two Fort Worth residents had also been beaten to death. Mary Emma Davis, her body was found at an abandoned house on Randall Mill Road, and Charles O. Patterson was found beaten to death in his office in the Sinclair Building in downtown Fort Worth. While the murders had similarities, police investigators had not made any connection between those cases and the death of Wynn. Two years had elapsed after the death of Harry Wynn, and it was still a high priority for Fort Worth PD. Still unsolved, and all leads were cold. Detectives said leads had all but vanished. His son, Robert, received a $300 bill from Gulf Oil Company in June of 1972, one year after the murder. Robert went to great lengths to cancel all of the credit cards, but he was unaware of the gas account. Robert said charges were made all over the city for items such as tires, batteries, and accessories. License plate numbers were collected by various service station attendants, including some out-of-town plates. However, all leads 
led to dead ends. Four years after his death, police were still stymied. No arrest, no motive, and no further leads. There had been one change, however. Gone, four years later, was the theory, robbery was the motive. Police dismissed the robbery motive because of the numerous valuables inside Wynn's home that remained untouched the day he was murdered. And that concludes part one, the death of J. Harry Wynn. Join us next week for part two. Roxo Media House.